Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. Thanks again, Luke and guys. Thank you for, for being here. Turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm not Pastor Mark. And uh, he's, take, he's taking uh, a little vacation with Jackie, and he'll be back next week. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And uh, we're going to read it from the, from the message version together here. Uh, don't you realize that this is not the way... In his kingdom, those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you from experience, uh, a number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us the spirit and father we just take another moment to pray and thank you that uh, we were in that list so unbearably miserable and far from you and you plucked us out of that mess and brought us into your glorious light and i pray that today we would be reminded of what a difference you've made in our lives and how you call us to help you make a difference in other people's lives we ask these things in jesus name Amen. So this is going to probably surprise you and maybe offend you, but this is what I think of when I think of this verse, is this little video clip here. Take a look at it with me. A stranger from the outside. I come in peace. This is an intergalactic emergency. I need to come into your vessel to Sector 12. Who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? Claude, our master, Claude chooses who will go and who will stay. Hey, Bozo, you got a bridge? <laughs> Get down! What's that in you, Sheriff? I was you. Get decided to climb into this. Claude, it moves. It moves. I have been chosen. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friend. I go on to a better place. Huh. I go to a better place. Uh, This verse talks about how we were once so far from God, miserable and lost. And how God, I just see it as he plucked us from where we were and brought us into his marvelous light. And I watch that in youth ministry from time to time. I see a, a student who, how in the world... Did God get to them? And yet somehow he just reached over and plucked them out of their life. And really, if we think about it, that's our story as well. And I want to take, in looking in God's word this morning, I want to take some time to talk about a story that some of you are familiar with. I was talking with a friend right here this morning who isn't, isn't that familiar with the story. So it's great that we can remember the story of Ruth. Ruth, are you familiar with that in the Bible? 
uh, early in the Bible. It's this lady who lived in a country called Moab. Now, Moab got its start with, uh, you remember, uh, Abraham is walking with his cousin, Lot. And Abraham says, you know, cousin, you pick which side you want to live on. And Lot looks to the left, to the east, and sees that it's all lush and green. So he says, I'll go here. And Abraham says, okay, I'll go here. And Abraham ends up going to what would later become Israel. And Lot goes down here to uh, what becomes Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the story. It gets uh, crazy in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the, it's the violence. It's just the unlimited violence and abuse that, that just God can't bear with it anymore. So he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, but gives Lot, literally graciously drags Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember what happens. Um, the wife, Abraham, or, um, Lot's wife, longingly looks back at Sodom and Gomorrah as it's being destroyed. And she gets turned into a pillar of salt. Well, so um, now it's just Lot and the two daughters. And they're living in a cave. And the, two daughter, and the oldest daughter gets this crazy idea. Hey, we're never going to have any children. So uh, we're going to have to... Uh, trick our dad so they get dad drunk and the first night by the way did we excuse the children or did they excuse themselves it'd be a really good time to excuse the children um (laughs) because uh, because the oldest daughter gets uh gets a lot drunk and then has relations with him and then the next night they get a lot drunk again and the youngest daughter has relations with him and uh, they have children and uh, the first uh, the, the youngest daughter has a child named Ben Ami, which becomes the Ammonites. And the oldest daughter has a child named Moab, who becomes the, the, the land of the Moabites. And if we get a, a map up here, we can kind of show you where, where Moab is. So this is, this is now Israel during the time of the judges. And you know, Pastor Mark talked about the judges. Uh, we got, you know, Gideon and Joshua and... Uh, Samson and uh, Deborah. During that time, this is what Israel looked like. And you can see down to the southeast is Moab. And it's a terrible place and it becomes a a more and more terrible place. One of the reasons that God calls it his wash bucket, which is just kind of a term of his disgust, is because they have a God named Chemosh. And this God demands child sacrifice there's nothing more repulsive to our father god god who is the consummate father the creator of everything and 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 you know his his first command to all the creatures and his first command to adam and eve was be fruitful and multiply i want to be a father god says and so there's nothing more disgusting and displeasing to him than when a people to honor their God, sacrifices a little baby. And this is, what, uh, this is what was taking place in Moab. So it's a repulsive place to God. This is where Ruth is born. Well, at the time of the judges, probably later, right before they get ready to have a king, there's, a, there's this man named Abimelech who has a wife named Naomi, and he has a son named Malian and a son named Kilian. And there's no food in Israel. They live, they live. okay, you see where Judah is? 
right around in there, uh, is, is uh, right up above the word Judah is Jerusalem. Now, if you were to go to the left, just a couple miles would be Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. You know, Bethlehem was just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. So it's a walk. That's where this family is from. And they've got property there in the Bethlehem area. And so Abimelech says, we've got to get out of here. There's no food. So let's go find where there's some food. So they go, of all places, to Moab. And that's where they live. Only they, they don't have any fortune there. Uh, Abimelech dies. Um, Malan and Kilian both take wives. Uh, Malan uh, marries a, a woman named uh, Orpah, who is a talk show host. And Kilian uh, marries a, 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 a woman named Ruth. And then Malan dies and Kilian dies. All the men die. And so now we've got Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And with nothing... There they are in this land, far away from God and far away from, from his uh, blessing. And Naomi says, I've, I've got to get back home. And she hears that things are getting better in Israel and there's more food up there, so it's time. Girls, I've got to get up home. Thank you for being such wonderful daughters-in-law. I release you from any responsibilities to me. But they both say, no, we, we want to go with you wherever you go. So she says, okay. So they start trekking towards Mo, uh, from Moab back towards Bethlehem. And, and uh, Naomi gets this thought, no, girls, I can't take you away from your country and everything you know. You're going to be aliens and strangers. You'll feel so uncomfortable. Turn back and go back home. I release you. You've been so good to me. Well, Orpah says, well, I do have a talk show that I could go back to. And um, I'm getting ready to give away camels to everyone in the audience. So that didn't really happen. Uh, but she does. She, she graciously kind of turns back around and goes back home into Moab. Ruth says no. And she says these famous words that sometimes you'll hear them even in a, in, in a wedding uh, ceremony. She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And so Ruth clings to Naomi and goes with her back into Israel. So they come back and, and uh, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. All her friends say, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because bitterness has happened to me. I've lost everything. And they come back and they kind of take over the property. But here's these two women. Um, what do they do with all the property? How do they... How do they take care of it? So one day Ruth gets up and she says, you know what? I'm, I'm young. I'm strong. I'm going to go out and get us food. And so, she, and so uh, she knows that Israel has, they have a system for the poor called gleaning. God commanded. He says, okay, when you're, when you're pulling all your crops, think about the poor and be a little bit careless when you're picking the crops. Don't pick everything. Leave the corners. Leave, drop a little behind so that the poor people can come and glean. And so Naomi says, okay, Ruth, get up and go glean. And we have this man who's kind of a cousin. He's kind of one of our relatives. And relatives are supposed to take care of each other. So go to this man's field, and I bet you he'll take care of you. His name is Boaz. Go to Boaz's field. So Ruth does. She goes there and she starts gleaning. And, uh, and Boaz comes into the scene. Boaz. He's the hero. He comes into the, his farmland this morning and, and says, God bless you, everybody. 
And everybody says, God bless you, Boaz. It's just like, can you just see? It's just like this beautiful morning, and everybody's smiling, and everybody's happy on Boaz's farm. Well, Boaz looks out over his land, over his, it's the barley season, looks out over his barley field, and sees this new young lady out there picking barley. Says, who's that? And they say, well, that's... The, that's Ruth. You know, we've all heard about Ruth who's been so faithful to stick with her poor mother-in-law and to befriend her and to be with her. She's come here to glean. And Boaz says, yeah, I have heard about her. I've heard great things about that young lady. Protect her and leave her extra behind. Make it easy for her as she's gleaning this barley. And don't let anybody molest her. And that was a big deal back then. Because remember, this is the time in uh, Israel, you, you start reading the Judges, the book of Judges, and it says, every person did what they thought best. And how many of you know that if we all did what we thought best, that could be some problems, right? If there's not a, an objective standard to live by, it gets messy. And Israel during this time was messy. Some some heinous things were taking place in Israel. And so a woman wasn't safe going out and gleaning alone in a field. But Boaz said, you don't let anything happen to that girl. You protect her. And so the workers watched out for her. She comes home at the end of the day with almost a full sack of barley grain. And Naomi says, where'd you get all that grain in one day? That's like weeks worth of barley. What are we going to do with it all? Where'd you get it? She says, well, I went to Boaz's field and, and I guess he took care of me. She says, I think he's crushing. And uh, so she goes back again and again and keeps being blessed. And one day Naomi says, you know, he is one of the candidates there in, you know, here in Israel. You're supposed to take care of your kin. And he is one of the candidates that, that could take care of us and could take care of you. We call them kinsmen redeemers. And so they began to do what, what we men only imagine women do when they get together in plotting. You know? uh, and they began to come up with a scheme that just is just irresistible and as 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 uh, as women can do okay i'm not going to get in any more trouble but they but she she says some um, okay it's getting ready to be the end of the barley season and at the end of the barley season they they pile the the barley seeds all up high in one big old pile and they celebrate and they drink and they thank god for all the blessing she says they're get, they're getting ready to have that barley season party um so put on a little perfume Put on a nice dress, and here's what you do. Okay, so Ruth says, okay. So they have the big barley party. Ruth attends, and everybody's having fun and celebrating and drinking wine and rejoicing. And then they all just kind of go to sleep. And Boaz goes to sleep right next to his barley pile. Just wants to make sure nobody takes it or something. He goes to sleep right next to his barley pile, puts a blanket up over him. It's the fall. And there he's sleeping. In the middle of the night, Ruth sneaks up, lays down at Boaz's feet. This is, apparently back then, this is a sign. A woman to a man, it's, it's, a, it's a harmless, um, innocent sign that I'm available if you're interested. 
Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and here's Ruth, young Ruth, laying at his feet. And, and she says, hi. <laughs> and he says, uh, 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 what are you doing? And she says, um, would you spread a little bit of your blanket just over me? Just can you spare a little bit of your blanket? And that was her way of saying, I'm available if you would like to take care of me. And you know what Boaz says? God bless you, young lady. You could have, you're beautiful and you're diligent. You are a catch. You are a Proverbs 31 woman, except that Proverbs 31 hasn't been written yet. But uh, you're, you're the whole package and you could have had anybody. And here I'm this older dude and you're making yourself available to me. I'm going to take care of this. And he spreads a little bit of the blanket over her. Next day, uh, wake up. Next day, Ruth goes home with more barley grain. And Naomi says, well, how did it go? Tell me, girl. And um, Naomi, um, Ruth tells, that was a really bad impersonation. Ruth says, well, this is what he said. And Naomi says, that boy is not going to rest until he has this settled. And sure enough, the next day, uh, Boaz goes to town. There's only one catch. And so those of you that know the story know that there's one other person that's in line to take, to take care of uh, um, Abimelech's estate after he died. And it's one, you know, closer cousin. So Boaz goes into town. He stands at the entryway to town. And when this guy comes by, he says, hey, bud, um, I got I got to talk to you about a business transaction. You know, Abimelech, he died and he left this property behind and you're in line to have the property. Do you want it? And the guy says, sure, more property. I'll take it. He says, okay, the only catch is it's also attached to uh, his daughter-in-law, Ruth. And if whoever takes the property also has to marry the daughter-in-law. And the guy goes, whoa. That's going to totally mess up the inheritance that I've got set up for my children. That's, uh, that's not a part of my plan. No, not interested. And Boaz goes, all right, can I have it then? And the guy says, yes. And so Boaz takes off his sandal and hands him his sandal, which is their way of closing the deal. We sign a contract. You, if you buy a house, you take off a sandal. A sandal. Uh, that's why in Israel... Um, when you go do a real estate deal, you don't wear your expensive sandals. You go to the dollar store, you get some flip-flops, right? And that's why you see, if you see somebody walking around with one sandal, you know, he just bought a house, right? So that's what he did. Boaz gives up his sandal and gains a woman. That's a good trade. And a wonderful woman named Ruth. Now, we, we just have to look at the contrast here. Ruth, born in a desolate, spiritually desolate place, so far from God. When I look at those, you know, when I look at those little alien creatures in that box in the uh, in the claw game, I always think, I always think of claustrophobia. I I need I need my space. Like if I was picking a seat in the congregation, I'd pick that one right there. You know, just give me elbow room and one of the most unimaginable things i can think of is being all crammed up and not being able to breathe and here you know here's this here's this little stuffed animal and when the claw comes and selects them they're going i've been chosen i'm going to a better place right it's just that's just how that's what i picture when i picture that and that's what i picture with ruth 
she was in an unbearable situation and it even got worse because now she's an alien no friends people look at her her skin is darker they go there's that there's that girl from uh, there's that foreigner from Moab that horrible place and suddenly she is selected she is chosen by her kinsman redeemer and everything changes and not only does she get married but she has a baby named Perez and Perez has a has a son named Jesse and Jesse has a son named David Ruth in the story of in God's great story of redeeming mankind Ruth is the great grandmother of the great king David and she's the great 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 grandmother of Jesus savior of the world and the beautiful story of Ruth is that no matter how far you are from God no matter how lost you feel how desolate how barren how abused how much life has spat on you and kicked you there is a redeemer who can change everything and who can pull you into his redemption story so that now not only are you saved but you're a part of his salvation so that's why the strange title from plucked to plucker because the um, the whole joy of life is when eventually we become people who go God you've been so good to me what can I do to help you with what you're doing in uh, in uh, celebrate recovery which I'm a proud but humble in in which I'm a proud but humble participant celebrate recovery when we stand to give our testimony we talk about BC before Christ all the all the stuff and in fact this was Tate when Tate gave his testimony in church he talked about all the horrible stuff that happened in his life and then there's that's that's BC before Christ and then there's AD there's after Jesus comes into our life and the difference that he's made and that's the story of Ruth and that's the story as Paul said of such were you, were you. We all have stories like that. And uh, there's somebody here today. I want I want you to just uh, I want us to take a minute to think about him. He's been a part of our uh, family for a while. When we when we we came to know him, he was uh, he was living in a trailer. His uh, he had never met his dad, and his mom kind of said well it's you're old enough now that you need to start uh, bringing in some money into the family so pulled him out of school had him get a job and uh and um so uh he brought home money to pay for mom and mom's boyfriend and all the all the children in the trailer he was sleeping on a mattress on the floor of a trailer and he started working with tate at the at the uh at uh, that sports sporting goods shop and Tate, you know, Tate's story about that, the old Mr. Sam. Remember his story about old Mr. Sam who kept witnessing and witnessing and never being quiet, you know, and kept pressing? Well, after Tate got saved, Sam started focusing on Joseph. And one day, Joseph's in the bathroom, supposed to be cleaning the bathroom, but Tate goes by and hears this sobbing. And Joseph is in the bathroom sitting on an ice chest crying because he knows he needs Jesus. And, um, and so, so Joseph now comes to the Lord from the from from being so far away from God 
living in a single white trailer with mom and, and mom's boyfriend and seven children to this young man who is one of the leaders in our youth group and he's getting ready to go next week to a, a Bible institute called Leeds College. And uh, anyway, I want you to hear from Joseph. He has a, a little, uh, a little what, what they call spoken word, which is for us old folks, it's a poem. And he's going to come up and, and, and uh, recite this. Is he not here? He's not back from... Okay, we'll have him... We'll, no, it's okay. We'll have him do it toward the end. So there's Joseph's story. And... Uh, and then uh, raise your hand if you were sort of if you were sort of uh, like raised in church. You don't have a Joseph story, okay? Wow, a lot of us. Me, me too. Had you know good parents. Practically, like like Pastor Mark always says, uh, nine months before I was born, I was already in church, and that that was my life. But I go back a couple generations to uh, a grandmother who was Jewish, a Jewish atheist, and a grandfather who was a German atheist. And they were uh, kind of interested in each other. They were living in Los Angeles, and there was this thing called the Azusa Street Revival. Remember it? And there was this preacher named Amy Simple McPherson. And so Grandpa Free has this crazy idea to go on their first date to, to see that crazy lady, Amy Simple McPherson, thinking that'll be, that'll be entertaining. Well, Grandma... Gets this vision of Jesus dying on the cross for her. And she gets saved and Grandpa Free gets saved as well. And so, through them, two generations back, God plucks me out of the darkness into the glorious light. And, and so those of you that raise your hand and you've been raised in church, you have a spectacular testimony. It just goes back a generation or two or three. And God help us to have the same passionate gratitude that Tate has and that Joseph has for theirs. You know, amen? Let God have the same gratitude that Joseph has for his salvation. Joseph's going to come on up here now and read his spoken poem word. You nervous? Hello? Sweet. Hey guys. Um, my name is Joseph, like you guys know, probably. Um, so, I wrote this poem, well, spoken word, and uh, I wrote it because there's a lot of kids in this world that grew up without a father and a mom, and I know what that's like. And uh, So, I wrote this poem because we have, to, we have to understand that Jesus is our father. And uh, even though we grew up without a dad, or some of us did, and some of us might not have, but Jesus is actually our father. Looking into the sky, wondering if you ever thought of me, what a life of never leaving would be. No, I wasn't and never am satisfied knowing you didn't want me. Growing up confused and abused with the thought that you didn't love me enough to stay. If I looked you in the face today, would you know what to say? I've used all this to add gas to the fire to be great, because I know Jesus has a love that will never fade. You know, Mama told me how you worship that gang, 
I'm not following in your footsteps. I worship the lamb that was slain. Sometimes I wish you were here to show you that I made it this far. I bet you thought a fatherless life wouldn't be so hard. But the truth is, I'm scarred. And it's okay, because Jehovah Jireh is in my heart. And no, I'm not stressing. I know my entire life is a blessing. I learned if you live for people's acceptance, you'll die from the rejection. And I thank God so much for my life. He's used all this to mold me into a man, something a father should do, something you wouldn't understand. He's a real father, unlike you, who never bothered. He's actually watched over me ever since I was a toddler. And he's even helped me get through all the pains and the sorrows. And at times where I feel like giving up, he's helped me to believe that there's still a today and tomorrow. And now 19 years have passed. 19 years. I didn't believe mom when she said, stay as young as you can. Life will fly by in a flash. And where God guided, he provided. I chose him over my life, and that's what I've decided. I didn't use my life to go down that dark alley. Jesus, our Father, is with me even when I go through the dark death valley. Now I'm just waiting for his return, the grand finale. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you for uh, giving us the permission to look into your life and, and use you as an example of God's grace. And uh, of such, we're, we're all, some of you and, and me, we were in a dark, miserable place, lost without Jesus, and he came and plucked us out of there into his marvelous light. He's so good. So I... The, the the first there's two people that we're we're addressing today and the first person is you who just feels lost and disconnected and barren and life has been so hard on you as it can be your redeemer is watching you he has not given up on you he has a plan for you i can say to you what naomi said to ruth just wait he has a plan and you will see He's going to fix this. He is going to choose you. Think about uh, when, you're, when you get a hold of good literature. Like Cindy and I, I don't know. If I, I'm going to give you a good tip if you're sort of a TV binge watcher. Uh, there is on the BBC, War and Peace. Has anybody discovered War and Peace? Uh, you don't have to read the book now. You can actually watch the presentation. It's, it's clean and it's fabulous. And um, Tolstoy, the reason that it's possibly the world's greatest novel in history is because the fantastic depth and complexity that he gives to his characters. And when you experience good literature, one of the things that you do is you say, which character am I in this story? You know, Or at what time in my life? Am I that makes me associate with this particular character? And so, in the story of Ruth, you you may uh, relate to the Ruth at the time in your life, or you could also relate to Boaz at the time in your life, and kind of go, hey, "I'm ready. God's been so good to me. I'm ready to kind of be 
in my, in my own little in my own little sphere of influence the hero you know um, God's given and given and given and given and I'm so grateful and he keeps on giving but is it time for him to use me to be a giver to be a plucker to be his fingers to help pluck others out you know and so we uh, we are called created for good works it says in Ephesians so maybe you're at a time in your life where you are or it's time to be Boaz to be the hero it's hard in our society when we think of heroes because the heroes in our society make the millions of dollars playing football or they uh, or are there television stars or uh, I even you know even watching TV I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching two shows right now the flash and the hero is super fast right and he saves his town every show he saves this great city that's like the city of New York because he's so fast he beats all the criminals and I and when I try to compare myself to the flash it doesn't work because I'm very slow when I try to do things fast I make mistakes I get lost in and in the car and so on and so forth so I'm very slow and so really I realize over time when I watch the flash I start feeling I start having poor self-esteem because <laughs> they'll never save not even Fairhope. I'll never save Fairhope by my blinding speed. It's not going to happen. So the other show I watch is The Last Ship. And this is a, and this is a, a um, U.S. Navy destroyer um, that's out floating in the water when suddenly a devastating virus overtakes the world and kills billions of people. And this destroyer has to come up with a anecdote to the virus. And so Captain Chandler is this brilliant leader of, of this ship who ends up saving the whole world by providing uh, an anecdote to the, to the virus. And, in, and, every, and every week after that, he keeps saving the world. And in another way, Captain Chandler saves the world. Every 40, it only takes him 42 minutes. Doesn't even take an hour anymore. 42 minutes and Captain Chandler saves the world. And he's so, he's about my age, but he's just so cut and, and just, you know, and, and I, I watch that show and I enjoy it and then I cry. Because I just go, I'll never, I'll never, I can barely save my dog Spock. And, and, and he's saving the world every 42 minutes. So what we've got to do, this is just advice for you, if you want to. Because we are all called to have a row. Jesus is the hero who has saved the world, but we are all called to be sort of under heroes. You know what I mean? Giving glory to Jesus, but helping to do his heroic work. He has saved the world, but we get to help him kind of with the cleanup and the occupation of his kingdom, right? But the thing about kingdom heroes are they are really, if God is the Father, if God is the consummate father who is building a family, then kingdom, then kingdom heroes are heroes of the home. That is where we are called to be heroes. First in our own homes, and then uh, as, our, as God is helping us to, to create an, a functional atmosphere in our own homes, we begin to look out and go, who could we pluck? And, and, and maybe there are people who don't have homes that we can bring in or, or in some way adopt or support. And uh, I want to first of all affirm you that, you that that's exactly what has happened with, with Joseph. Is that so many of you have said we're so blessed to have 
this young man in our congregation, how can we help? And people will come up to me after every service and say, how can we help with Joseph? So, so you're getting it, the, the doing the work of these sub-heroes. I, wanna, I want to encourage you, because some of you are going, man, I've failed big time in the area of family. If there's a hero of a family, it's not me. And I say to you today, the grace of the Lord is great. And we start today. We don't look in the past. You could be here, sitting here on your eighth marriage. So I say to you, by the grace of God, build that family, that eighth family, and and give glory to Jesus in that. And, And God will do just what he did with Ruth from devastation he'll bring he'll bring beauty and he'll bring favor and he'll bring provision and everything that we need so so the call today is that God would help us to be heroes of the family yours and then starting to bring others in as well well uh believe it or not this uh, um Pastor Mark invited me to let this be a missions service. And so we're going to close today. We did all that to kind of build up to this moment where some of you are going, okay, I have a little bit more blanket that I could extend over to help somebody. And uh, Tate and Aaron and I just recently went to Costa Rica and visited a school there that's in a network of schools called Latin America Child Care. You may not know this, but Cindy and I for 20 years have been working with this ministry called Latin America Child Care, traveling to churches and telling them about this. And it's, in some ways, it's, kind of, it's, one of those, it's one of those sponsorship ministries where you sponsor a child. But I want to have Aaron come up and talk to us, first of all, about what life is like for your typical uh, impoverished child in Latin America and then, um, and then Tate's going to come up and tell us about our experiences at this Latin America child care school that we went to. All right. So I, I uh, like Lee said, I want to talk a little bit about what life is like down there. For some of you who have visited Central America, Latin America, uh, I assume a lot of it has been at a vacation-type resort, Cancun, um, different areas like Puerto Vallarta, Los Cabos. Um, those areas do not give a good representation of what really goes on underneath the surface of a lot of these Central and Latin American countries. I think, I remember my first missions trip. It was after my eighth grade year, before my freshman year of high school. And I went down to El Salvador, which they actually is where LACC, Latin American Child Care, started. And I went, I went down there, and my whole worldview was just shattered. And I think I went from a middle-income white family to somewhere that, you know, they are literally living in these 10 homes, no air conditioning, um, the size of, you know, maybe 10 foot by 10 foot if they're lucky, and just crammed in there, multi-generation. And it really opened up my eyes that there is so much more out there than just um, poverty as we know it in America. Over, over 80 million people in Latin America live under the poverty line. And that's not the American poverty line. That's the Latin American poverty line. So it's, it's just a different level. They're working for maybe a couple of dollars a day. And these, these families, their biggest struggle is have, when they do have children 
is raising these children. They want them to go to school, of course. They have good motives. But at the same time, they need these kids to potentially work for them or help them around the house or something like that. And that's really, and Tate's going to touch on this a lot, but that's where education, at least I believe, can really transform poverty and help these children out of poverty. But that's just a little bit about kind of what you see going down there. Um, There's just hundreds and thousands of these tin roofs, and not all of them are like that, of course, but the fact that so many of them live in this condition, it's just, it's amazing to think that they can get anything done. I mean, you're a child living in that condition. We we take for granted what we've been given here in America, and the hand that we've been dealt uh, has really been blessed, a blessing to all of us. Um, So I'm going to invite Tate up. He's going to tell a little bit about LACC schools, actual schools, and how these kids are able to go to these schools and, and hopefully change their future with a good education. Uh, as Lee mentioned, you know, the coast, we did get to go down to Costa Rica, and that was my first mission trip. So there's a lot of things that I hadn't seen before. Um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't uh, ignorant to what was going on in other places of the world, but I, I guess I just hadn't seen exactly how widespread it was. And um, getting a chance to go to that school was uh, really awesome for me. I know a lot of today uh, we're focusing on on the aspect of the kids, and I'll get to that in a minute, but the adults that are living in Costa Rica, or, or you know, we are in Costa Rica, but living in Latin America, making this happen, working for Latin American child care, are amazing people down there. Um, I know at least uh, when we're at the school we're at, uh, in that area, teachers, there's two shifts. They work a morning shift, do morning classes or they work a night shift and do night, you know, like a, a late afternoon class and do afternoon classes, um, but they don't do both. Well, the teachers for Latin American child care get paid the same as all the other teachers around there, which isn't much. They get paid the same as them, and they actually have to work the morning and afternoon shifts. So what they're doing is, is truly from the, the goodness of their hearts as well. They're doing more work for the same, if not less money. Um, so, so it starts with, you know, there's adults down there that have taken their time and taken their love and poured it into these kids. Um, but now the kids down there, man, it was, it was so much fun for me to get to uh, interact with these kids. And, and we went down there, and, of course, we're walking up to this school. And the school, I mean, you drive through there. You have to get them to unlock the gate for you. You, you drive up into it. They lock the gate behind you because uh, it's not in a great area. You know, the school is probably the safest place that the kids will be all day. Uh, because they have locked gates and and uh, and people they are watching it to make sure that people aren't going in. But you see, uh, you know, people standing outside those gates just waiting um, if they see, you know, someone who looks like they have money coming by or whatever. So, um, anyways, Aaron and I are walking up and we're sports junkies, so we notice, you know, the big gym up on top of the hill. Well, I say big gym, really, it was just like this walled up area and it had like a tarp basically a tarp roof over the top and uh, it had it was a soccer field a short soccer field and a little basketball courts going from side to side Um, and you know the balls were all faded and and looked like they're about to bust any moment Uh, so we noticed that and like all right well after we go in here and talk to these kids we're going to go up there and play some sports with them so we talked to them we we listened to them pray and we went up there and uh, we were playing, we got to play soccer with these kids. Well, after uh, I took a break from soccer because I was tired, and then next thing I know, this this uh, little boy asked if he can take a ride on my back. And uh, I was with three guys, Aaron, Lee, and, uh, and our other buddy, Joey, who had been there before and decided not to warn me that kids will ask to, to ride on your back. So I thought, yeah, I'll give him a, a piggyback ride. Well, 
Uh, about 20 kids later, I'm sitting there out of breath, just gassed. I mean, you know, it's hot down there. I'm I'm sitting there and, and just worn out. Like, I feel, honestly felt like I was about to puke because they just kept, you know, kid after kid after kid wanting to ride my back. And uh, as I'm sitting there trying to, you know, I knew very, my Spanish got better as I was down there, but very little Spanish I knew, you know, trying to tell the kids, you know, look, I, I need a break. I'm tired. I'm I'm thirsty. I can't. You know, I'm, I actually I didn't even tell him Thursday. I just told him I'm 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 tired. You know, I need just need a break. And um, and this little girl that down there, you know, they they have so little, so little. And um, this little girl who had just gotten her lunch, she she was you know trying to communicate me in, with me in Spanish, basically asking me if I was thirsty. And I figured out what she was saying. I was like, Yeah, I'm thirsty. Well, for lunch they don't get juice bottles or anything, but they get like a bag. So it's like a plastic bag, and they pour juice in it, and then they tie it up, and then the kids bite off a corner of it, and that's how they get their juice. And she's sitting there trying to hand me her juice juice bag, you know, and, and that's something that just really, really impacted me. Um, it makes me emotional. Do what? It, it makes me emotional um, thinking about it right now, you know, but it was it was very sweet. And, uh, you know, I, I was telling her, no, 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 I don't want it. That's yours. That's yours. And she wouldn't let me not take it. So she, you know, I, I finally eventually just took it and, um, you know, I drank some and, and then gave it back. But, I mean, their heart is so big, you know. They, they know that we have so much more than they do. And, uh, and she was still willing to give up her juice, you know, give me her juice, which uh, can seem like a small gesture. But, man, that meant the world to me. And um, those, those kids are so special. You know, you can tell they had rough edges. Uh, you can tell they, they don't grow up in, in great environments. Um, you know they're quick to ask for a piggyback ride, but but they're they're not so quick generally to open up necessarily and and just spending time with them, loving on them. You can get them uh, talking and what you can understand. You know you can you can see. You know I saw two separate times. You know I'd see a little girl or a little boy over in a corner by themselves just crying, and uh, you know I went over and talked to them. And it's just it's really rough. And and they they these schools offer such an amazing place. Like I said, the safest place that they'll be all day. Um, one place that you know for sure they're going to get to eat. And uh, that's huge for those kids. You know they'll get one meal a day. You know that they'll get um, something to drink besides water that probably isn't that clean. Um, anyways, it, it was a really special time for me. So they have they have really special hearts. Thank you, Tate. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, can try to. Uh, is it possible to throw you a curve and to put that that video up, uh, the end video up right now? If not, we'll do it at the end like we planned. Nice.
others who've, who've gone with us to Costa Rica. And so we, we, we do want to make it available. And Pastor Mark has, a, has approved that we make this opportunity available. If you'd like to sponsor one of these children, I can say to you that of all the sponsorship, and, the, and there's so much of the sponsorship stuff out of there, out there, of all of them, this is one of those that they take great cares in, in, um, in, in stewarding the contributions that come their way. It's $35 a month to sponsor a child, and it allows the child to go to this school where they hear about Jesus. They'll get a hot meal. Uh, take, take, and, uh, and Aaron and I walked past one room. It wasn't a classroom, but it was totally devoted to dentistry. There were two dentist chairs in there. And once a month, a dentist comes, and, and you'll see the little children walking around with little Kleenexes in their mouth because they've just had teeth pulled, you know. But we, we t- try to take care of those children. So if the Lord speaks to you, we're going to have a response time here in just a moment. If the Lord speaks to you, you can go back to the table, and, and we, um, we'll be back there. And what you do, you, this is the third card to think about today. You would fill out this little card and turn it in to Tate or Joseph or Aaron or Cindy, whoever's back there. Just tear out this card, and then you'll keep the rest because the rest of it is your picture of your child. This little boy's name is Kenneth Tercero, and he's in second grade, and he has one brother and a mom and dad. He dreams of being a contractor someday, and he goes to a school in, uh, in Guatemala. So uh, he needs a sponsor. So just as, as the Lord leads you, uh, you can do that. I just have a closing story. It was a Sunday, and I was taking a nap, and uh, all of a sudden I woke up with a searing pain in my ear. And I sat up, and Jonathan was standing over me. He was eight years old. He's my son. He was eight years old, and he was standing over me, over me laughing as I had this pain in my ear. And I dug into my left ear and pulled out, and it was a hot grape. It was a boiling hot grape. And Jonathan was just standing there laughing. And he, first of all, he knows not to disturb me in my sleep, let alone putting a hot grape in my ear. I said, Jonathan, what is this? And he's laughing. He said, well, Dad, I always wonder what would happen if I put a microwave, if, if I put a grape in a microwave for one minute and then put it in somebody's ear. And I said, you always wondered what would happen? Let me demonstrate. Bend over. And... Uh, Actually, I'm joking about the last part. I didn't, believe it or not, I didn't spank him because I thought, because he's, the way he said it, it sounded like maybe this really was a scientific experiment. And I, and I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, that it was just an experiment gone bad, you know. So I didn't spank him, but I probably added a little bit of hot grape jam onto the next spanking that he got for some other reason. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> that was Jonathan at age, at age eight. Uh, uh, sticking hot grapes in my ear and doing what young people do. And, you know, when you, you're raising their kids and you're, you're doing some kind of job and they're playing video games and you're kind of going, hey, what you doing? I'm playing a video game and that's just all you get, you know. And um, that's how it is. But as they grow, um, gratitude starts to set in and they start thinking, yeah, how, can I, how can I help? You know, mom and dad, they, they, they took care of me. How can I help? And it was so cool yesterday. Uh, Jonathan is obviously, uh, Jonathan is here, and he's brought a friend from Tulsa named Christina. We're really happy that she's here. Jonathan's here, and Christina's here. And uh, my youngest daughter, Tori, is here. And her husband, Aaron, we're very proud of him. He's a youth pastor in, uh, in Mandeville. 
I'm proud of them. And my oldest daughter, Lindy, maybe she's watching. We love you and miss you, Lindy. But uh, they're here. But Jonathan, so Jonathan and, and I were sitting in the front seat of the van driving home from the warehouse yesterday at, where we drank coffee. And he said, Dad, isn't it cool? We're both doing the same thing. We're both youth pastors. And it was really hard to hold back the big old grin on my face, you know, because there's, for a father, there's nothing like, and, and I'm not saying that all of our kids are going to take over the family business or do the same vocation, but there's something beautiful when your son, when your daughter begins to share your value, begins to be passionate about what you're passionate about. And that's what the call is today, is that we have a father. He identifies himself as the father of us all. But his heart is, is yearning. Last night we were sitting in our circle praying, and we were praying for Daisy, the little girl that we're trying to bring home. She's caught in the system. And Cindy, my wife, just sobbed and sobbed as she thought about Daisy there in that institution, alone and and in danger. And that's the heart of the Father, calling us to be his fingers to help him pluck the lost ones and to bring them into family. And that is the call today. And so Jonathan is actually going to come and lead us in a song that is a celebration of God's fatherhood. Come on up, Jonathan. Celebration of how God has adopted us into his family. And as we sing that song, let this be sort of our response time. And if you have been feeling like you're in in Moab, in devastation, I want you to know that your kinsman redeemer knows where you are. And he has a plan for you. And hold on, because he's coming. On the other hand, if you're blessed and you're realizing how good God has been to you we call you to see can you extend a little bit more of your blanket over some of his little children who need to be warmed and Jonathan's going to lead us in that